0: The text for this morning's sermon is Luke 1, verses 39 to 45. So the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary and made known to her the wondrous works that God would accomplish through her in causing the Messiah to be born of her flesh. We take up our text at verse 39... should come to me, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of his gospel, Luke tells us that he has undertaken a careful investigation of all the things that were fulfilled among them. And thus he put together an orderly account of the origins of Christianity. He does this, he writes, so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke's goal is clearly to strengthen our faith, and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke's account begins with messages brought by the angel Gabriel, first to Zechariah and then to Mary. He first proclaimed to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a baby in their old age. This baby, who would be named John, would be their joy and delight. He would be great in the eyes of the Lord. He would have a ministry in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of God's people to the Lord, preparing them for the coming Messiah. An even more astonishing announcement was made to Mary some six months later. Gabriel appeared to Mary, a peasant girl from Nazareth, telling her that she would would bear the Son of God Most High, a Savior for God's people. As a sign to confirm what was foretold, the angel announced that Mary's, Elizabeth, Mary's relative Elizabeth, who had been barren, was going to have a child in her old age. Mary responded to the angel's words in faith. She submitted herself to doing God's will, saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In our text this morning, we see that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Well, consider why she went, and the result of these two expectant mothers meeting together. God had great plans for their sons. John was to be herald of the coming Messiah. Jesus was to serve as Savior of the world. The Lord uses Mary's visit to Elizabeth to confirm and to strengthen her in her faith. And Luke records these events to build us all up in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God's wonderful promises to Mary are confirmed through her visit to Elizabeth. We'll consider Elizabeth's prophecy, the baby's joy, and Mary's faith. Our text begins by stating, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Uh, Mary's response to the angel Gabriel's announcement is to get ready and go see her relative Elizabeth. The scriptures tell us that she lived in the hill country of Judea. We know that the town of Hebron had been given to the priests as their possession when they entered the land of Canaan. Whether or not that was the specific place Mary went, traveling from Nazareth to Judea involved a journey of one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty kilometers, probably a four or five day track. Our text indicates that Mary hurried to visit Elizabeth. Her haste shows her eagerness to visit with her. Why was she making this journey? Some suggest that it was a hideaway because Mary was pregnant. But that doesn't make any sense. Mary visited with Elizabeth for about three months. These were the last months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, but only the first months of Mary's. This early in her pregnancy, she would not yet be showing that she was expecting a baby. Mary was not running away to hide her pregnancy. So why did Mary make this journey, traveling the better part of a week, to go see Elizabeth? Well, she did so at God's prompting. After the angel explained to her that she would miraculously conceive a baby through the power of God Most High, he directed her to Elizabeth. The angel told her, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. God himself led Mary to go and see Elizabeth. By visiting with Elizabeth, Mary would see that the words the angel had spoken to her were true. If the Lord could work a mighty miracle so that Elizabeth could conceive a child in her old age, this would also confirm the angel's words spoken to Mary That through the power of the Holy Spirit, she would conceive and give birth to God's son. Elizabeth's pregnancy was meant to serve as a sign to Mary that nothing is impossible for God. Yeah, beloved, there's still more than that happening in our text. The Lord knew the struggles that Mary would face. Here we have a young girl from a backward town She had no husband, and yet she was with child. Who was going to believe that she was expecting a child through the working of the Holy Spirit? Or that her child would be the long-awaited Messiah? How would Joseph, to whom she was betrothed, react? It's unlikely that anyone in Nazareth would believe Mary if she spoke about being visited by an angel, she could expect ridicule and scorn if she spoke about the fact that she, as a virgin, was expecting the Son of God. Yet Elizabeth would believe her. For the same angel Gabriel who appeared to Mary had also appeared to her husband Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been told that they would have a son in their old age. And Elizabeth was now expecting. According to the angel's message, she was not just expecting any child. She would give birth to a prophet, a herald of the coming Messiah. Thus, Elizabeth knew that the Messiah was coming, and God wanted to use her as an instrument in his hand to confirm and to strengthen Mary's faith, to give her courage and strength to be the Lord's servant. Elizabeth's pregnancy itself was a confirmation of the words spoken by the angel to Mary. Yet the Lord also used Elizabeth further to confirm his wonderful promises to Mary. When Mary entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she prophesied. In a loud voice, Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. These words are important. What is Elizabeth saying here? She calls Mary blessed among women. Reminds us of the words Gabriel spoke to Mary when he first addressed her. He said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. There's a reason why Elizabeth calls Mary blessed among women. Elizabeth recognized through the Spirit that Mary has been chosen by God to give birth to his son. Of all the women who lived in Israel through many centuries, she was the one blessed to be the mother of our Lord. She's been blessed by God not only to give birth to, but also to nurse and to care for and to teach the Messiah. Elizabeth also prophetically speaks about the son that would be born to Mary. She said, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And again, Elizabeth is confirming the message spoken by the angel. He had made it clear to Mary that her child would be great, that he would be called the Son of the Most High. The angel had explained that her son was the eagerly awaited Messiah, that he would sit on the throne of his father David and reign over the house of Of Jacob forever. And so Elizabeth prophetically confirms the word of the Lord that had come to Mary earlier to strengthen Mary in her faith, to encourage her to be faithful in the task to which the Lord had called her. Beloved, it's remarkable to see the way Elizabeth ministered to Mary. There was quite an age gap between these women. Age-wise, Elizabeth could have been Mary's grandmother. The Lord was doing great things for Elizabeth. The Lord allowed her to conceive in her old age, taking away the disgrace of being barren. And yet Elizabeth's focus is not on herself, but on Mary. Elizabeth is humbled by the fact that Mary has come to see her. We could have expected the visit between Mary and Elizabeth to begin in a different manner. After Mary's greeting, Elizabeth could have said to her, Mary, let me tell you how I'm going to be used by the Lord. Elizabeth has been in seclusion for some five months. She's had no one to talk to about God's wondrous working in her life. And yet Elizabeth is very humble. Her first words to Mary are, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. There's a reason for this. Elizabeth is not focused, not self-focused, but she is focused on the Christ. Please note the words that Elizabeth speaks next. She asks, And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me This is a beautiful confession that Elizabeth makes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We often think that Peter was the first one to confess Jesus as the Messiah. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied that most thought he was one of the prophets. Jesus asked, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. After Jesus' resurrection, Thomas was missing the first time when Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room. He doubted when the others told him that they had seen the Lord. Thomas said he would not believe unless he saw the nail marks in Jesus' hands and put his finger into his side. Jesus appeared to his disciples again when Thomas was present. Thomas believed, and he confessed, saying, My Lord and my God. Yet Elizabeth confessed Jesus as her Lord when he was very young, before he had begun his public ministry and done many miraculous deeds. Elizabeth confessed Jesus as my Lord before he was even born when he was only a baby, conceived a few weeks earlier. Why? Well, obviously this happened in the direction of the Holy Spirit who moved Elizabeth to speak these words. They're in the Bible for our benefit. But initially they were used by God to confirm and to strengthen Mary in her faith so she could confidently serve as mother Of our Lord. One of the striking things about our text is how the Lord uses the communion of fellow believers for their encouragement and for the strengthening of their faith. Mary and Elizabeth were kinswomen related by blood, but they were more than that, they were sisters in the faith. Luke emphasizes that both these women believed the word of God. They believed his promises. It's this common bond of faith that united them. It's what enabled them to support and to encourage each other. Beloved also for us, the communion of fellow believers is a wonderful means of grace. God has given us the church so that we might encourage one another. Together, we're all members of one body. For the effective functioning of our physical bodies, each of the parts needs to fulfill the function for which it was made. We have eyes to see, we have ears to hear a heart to pump blood, legs to walk, hands to work. And in the same way, in the body of Christ, in the church, we're all called to use our gifts and our talents for the profit of others. God has given us communion together, so we might encourage and support each other and hold each other accountable as we walk down the pathway that leads to our heavenly home. We need this support, for we're engaged in daily warfare against the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. There's times when we get bogged down with the troubles and the sorrows that face us in this sinful, broken world. God never intended for us to walk the Christian faith alone. Peter wrote, Or Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We need to do both those things. You see, beloved, grief is made greater when it is hidden. If we keep our sorrows and sadness to ourselves, it just grows and grows. And soon it'll overwhelm us. And if we share grief it diminishes others help us bear the load joy works the opposite way joy when kept to yourself shrinks but when it's shared it's doubled When others rejoice with you, you are encouraged, and you have even more cause for thanksgiving. It's through the communion of the church, the love and encouragement of one another, that grief diminishes, joy grows, and blessings abound. It brings us to our second point, and we'll consider the baby's joy. Our text records the first meeting of two expectant mothers Elizabeth and Mary. Yet the meeting between the two mothers is not the only meeting that takes place. Our text also speaks of what happened when their babies first met. Verse 41 tells us when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth explains what happened to Mary. She said, As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, The baby in my womb leaped for joy. And so we see that Elizabeth's baby, John, reacts to the presence of the Messiah, whom he would later serve as herald. It's worth noting what the angel Gabriel had said to Zechariah about his son John. He said that he would be great in the eyes of the Lord. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Gabriel said he would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Our text shows us that John the Baptist was moved by the Spirit even prior to birth. He began his prophecy in the womb by leaping with joy. What is this leap of joy all about? Well, to understand this is helpful to look at Malachi 4. In verse 2, the prophet speaks about the coming of the Messiah. He says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Malachi also describes the response of the people to the coming of their long-awaited king. He writes, You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I'm not sure how many of you have seen the joy and exuberance of young calves frolicking about, especially if they've been contained in a stall for some time. They prance about, kicking their heels up into the air. It's an expression of rapturous joy. Well, in the same way, Malachi speaks about the joyful response that will come from those who hear about the coming of the Messiah. Their joy will overflow. The prophecy of Malachi 4 is connected to John the Baptist. In the last words, God spoke to his people through his Old Testament prophets. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The angel Gabriel quoted these words to Zechariah about John. And in our text, John reacts to the coming of Mary and of his Lord Jesus by leaping for joy. John's task in life was to serve as the herald of the Messiah. His task was to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight their paths for the coming of the Savior. In our text... At the very outset, when Mary walks into the room and John first encounters the presence of Jesus, he jumps for joy. In his mother's womb, he's already pointing to his Savior. It was his way of indicating, even before he was born, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." John's joyous leap was lived out in life some 30 years later when he prepared the people for the coming of the Christ. John compared his joy in announcing Christ with that of a friend of the groom at his wedding. In John 3:29, John said, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine Is now complete. During his public ministry, John the Baptist was filled with joy when he witnessed Jesus taking up his role to serve as our Messiah. Beloved John teaches us much about how we are to respond to the presence of the Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches us about how we are to respond to the preaching of the good news of salvation. Jesus Christ came into this world with purpose. He came to save us from our sins, to pay the debt that we owe for all the ways that we offend God by breaking his commands. Jesus came to deliver us from the mastery of Satan, to break the hold sin so often has over us so that we can live as God's redeemed and renewed children, enjoying communion with God again. Beloved, what's your response to the glad tidings of salvation? Do you recognize how lost you would be without the Messiah? Do you understand the misery that Christ has delivered you from? By giving his life as a sacrifice on the cross? John's response to the Lord Jesus was to leap with joy. How about you, dear brother, dear sister? Is your heart glad when you hear the good tidings about Jesus coming in human flesh? Do you rejoice in the Christmas message? How do you express your joy? Oh, that we would be filled with thanksgiving and joy at the good news of Christ's birth, that despite the familiarity of the Christmas message, our hearts would be moved to respond to God, that we would praise Him in word and deed. So often the Christmas season brings stress and discontent We focus on what we don't have. And we forget the glorious treasure of knowing Christ and of being known by Him. Beloved, let's take the time to thank God in song and prayer for the wonders of His grace. Let's make an effort to show forth God's love to those around us. Let us truly rejoice in the blessings that Christ has given us. It brings us to our final point. Mary's faith. Our text ends with some final words from Elizabeth. She said, blessed is she who believed. That there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. By the Lord. Elizabeth calls Mary blessed. Blessed is different than happy. Happy refers to how a person feels. Blessed refers to what a person is. A blessed person is one on whom God's favor rests. You are blessed if the Lord delights in you. Mary is called blessed. The reason why is because she had faith. She believed that what the Lord said to her would be accomplished. Her faith was more than just head knowledge. She trusted in the Lord. Her confidence was in Him alone. She responded to God by submitting herself to doing His will. If we want to share in the blessings of salvation as promised in the gospel, then we too need to respond in faith. Beloved, let's examine what faith really is. Our text says that Mary believed that what the Lord said to her would be accomplished. She believed that the words the angel spoke to her about being the mother of God's Son were true. She believed that he would be the Messiah. Mary believed that although she was a virgin, she would conceive a child through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our faith, too, begins with an intellectual assent to certain facts. We believe that what God has said to us in the Bible is true. Yet this head knowledge is not enough. James makes this clear in James 2.19. He said, you believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. We not only need to know what God has made known to us in the Bible, we also need to truly believe it, to trust God's rich promises. Mary believed what the angel said, and so she entrusted her life to God's care and keeping. The truth that she heard traveled from her head to her heart. And there she pondered them, thinking about what they meant for her and what they required of her. Well, beloved, the same is necessary for us. To agree to the truths of Scripture is not enough. It's not enough to believe that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. It's not enough to assent to the truths about the virgin birth or the resurrection What does the gospel mean to you? Do you have confidence that God's promises are for you? Can you say, God has granted me the forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and everlasting life? That Although I don't deserve any of these gifts, they are given me by grace alone. True faith shows itself in how it responds to God. Mary's faith was evident in her response to God's call. She said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She submitted herself to doing what God wanted her to do, to serving as the mother of his son and giving birth to and nurturing the Lord Jesus If our hearts are transformed by God's grace, we too will bring forth fruits of thanksgiving. It'll be our joy and our delight to serve God according to his word. We'll submit our hearts and our lives to the service of our Lord and King. Beloved, if we're honest... When we examine our lives, we don't always see the same faith and joy that were evident in the lives of Mary, Elizabeth, and John. Please don't be discouraged by that. Recognize that God worked in powerful ways in Mary's life because he needed to confirm to her the wonderful promises he had given her about about her role in the birth of the Messiah. God strengthened Mary. He equipped her according to her need. And God does the same for us today. What we need to recognize is that faith is a gift of God's. We're not the ones who develop faith within us. God does that by the powerful working of his Holy Spirit. At times, we may go through hardships and struggles that cause us to doubt, doubt, God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love. There can be situations when it's difficult to believe that God's promises are for me. God knows we're weak. He knows that we're prone to doubt. Pray for the work of the Spirit in you and give God opportunity to work in your heart by his word. God's word is a source of great encouragement. When Paul was faced with his thorn in the flesh, God did not remove it, even though Paul pleaded for this. Instead, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. At times, you may wonder, how people deal with the tragedies and sorrows that God brings on them in this life. Well, the simple answer is God strengthens his people according to their need. All our blessings come from above. Faith, trust, joy, peace, comfort, and hope. Yeah, beloved, God often uses people to administer his gifts. While God's word provides the basis for our faith and trust, he uses people to bring it. It happens on Sundays when the gospel is preached to us. Despite the weaknesses of the messenger, God works powerfully through his spirit, causing his word to bear fruit. Yet yeah, God often uses others like a pregnant mom or yet unborn child to communicate his grace. He can use each one of us in the place and station where he has put us so we can support and encourage each other in our common faith. It's not easy to hold fast our faith, to persevere through all the ups and downs we face in our lives, and so we need to remember that it's God who is both the author and the perfecter of our faith. Through his word and through various experiences in life, the Lord holds on to his children. He confirms his promises to us so that we may believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So that we may entrust our lives to his care and keeping. May the good news of the gospel strengthen and encourage us so we rejoice in our Savior and in his grace. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 31, stanzas 11, 13, and 14.